0: That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly, the weekly podcast bringing you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. And I was staying with friends one mile from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when the nuclear accident happened. That's why I produce and host this podcast, because I know firsthand that whether you can hear the sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, December 13, 2011, day 277 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th, and here is the latest nuclear news. The big news, which is being splashed all over the mainstream media, is a battle over who controls the information and influence regarding the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. On Friday the 9th, uh, Representative Edward J. Markey, who's a Democrat from Massachusetts, he's Congress's leading voice for nuclear safety, he released a blockbuster new report that details how four commissioners at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC, colluded to prevent and then delay the work of the NRC Near-Term Task Force on Fukushima. That task force uh, was, was tasked with making recommendations for improvement to NRC regulations and processes after the Fukushima meltdowns. Representative Markey's office reviewed thousands of pages of documents and found a concerted effort by Commissioners William Magwood, Christine Svinicki, William Osterdorf, and George Apostolakis to undermine the efforts of the Fukushima Task Force with requests for endless additional study in an effort to delay the release and implementation of the Task Force's final recommendations. Documents also show open hostility on the part of the four commissioners towards efforts of NRC Chairman Greg Jasko to fully and quickly implement the recommendations of the Task Force. Here's a quote from Representative Markey. The actions of these four commissioners since the Fukushima nuclear disaster has caused a regulatory meltdown that has left America's nuclear fleet and the general public at risk. Instead of doing what they have sworn to do, these four commissioners have attempted a coup on the chairman and have abdicated their responsibility to the American public to assure the safety of America's nuclear industry. The four NRC commissioners conspired with each other and senior NRC staff to delay the release of and alter the near-term task force report on Fukushima. They attempted to slow down or otherwise impede the adoption of the safety recommendations. NRC Chairman Greg Jasko kept the four other NRC commissioners fully informed regarding the Japanese emergency despite claims to the contrary made by these commissioners. And the consideration of the Fukushima safety upgrades is not the only safety related issue that the other NRC commissioners have opposed. So that was the report that came out from Senator Markey's office on Friday. Never send out a major news story on a Friday. It's a dead news day and it gives the other side plenty of time to regroup because that is exactly what has happened. As of yesterday, Bill Magwood, the man at the center of an effort to overthrow the chairman of the NRC and the most likely successor if the move is successful, it has now been revealed served as a consultant for TEPCO, which is, of course, the Japanese company that owns the Fukushima nuclear power plant. On Friday, Representative Daryl Issa, Republican of California, whose district includes the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station, he released a letter signed by Magwood and three other commissioners attacking the panel's chairman, Gregory Jasko, which set off a firestorm in the energy industry. That's an interesting use of words there, a firestorm. ISA and the four commissioners framed the dispute as personal and managerial, but the emails released by Representative Ed Markey show a political and ideological battle underway over post-Fukushima safety standards. Now, here's a sidebar on Representative ISA. His district, um, again, contains San Onofre, and the fourth largest campaign contributor to Representative Isis' war chest is Southern California Electric, which is the operator of San Onofre. So it's no surprise that he would immediately fire off something in support of these commissioners. Now, back to the main story. Uh, Magwood, the commissioner's previously unreported relationship to Japan's nuclear industry via the firm he founded and ran, Advanced Energy Strategies, sheds new light on the debate that is going on. And on Saturday morning, just hours after the dueling releases of documents, utility lobbyists began reaching out to Democrats on key committees, urging them not to back JASCO. So basically it's war, that they have loosed the locusts of lobbyists on anyone who is pro the one commissioner of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who has come out on the side of implementing the safety standards that are needed to protect all of our lives um this was uh again focused uh, this was again presented in um newspaper stories around the country today, most notably in u s a today or somebody typed it to me u s a toady t o a d y that they are pushing the tsunami as the cause of the meltdown uh, of the meltdowns in Japan with Fukushima, not the earthquake, but as our next story will show, that is not the case. Uh, but this is the story that's being put out. It is a major talking point that has been released within the nuclear industry, and what they are doing is all of their various sources are saying the same thing at the same time. It was a tsunami. It wasn't an earthquake, and we don't have to worry about quake safety standards. Not true. Um, just a final request from Nuclear Hot Seat: If anybody is good at researching corporate ties between USA Today and uh, the nuclear industry or the power industry, I would love to know what that connection is. Now, in a related story, uh, this out of Japan, the Japan Times, evidence is mounting. If there's somebody there who um, uh, has not yet muted themselves, if you could hit star six, that would help with background noise. Thank you. Um, this comes out of J- the Japan Times, and it was released yesterday, December 12th, that evidence is mounting that the meltdown at the nuclear power plant in Fukushima was actually caused by the earthquake itself. Scientific findings have given rise to serious suspicion of TEPCO's claim that the crisis at the nuclear power plant was caused by the tsunami and not the earthquake. This is a view that blames the tremor as the true culprit, the the view that blames the tremor as the true culprit is becoming more and more trusted. That's in Japan and the rest of the world as opposed to this onslaught on that piece of truth here in the United States. Now, science journalist Mitsuhiku Tanaka, formerly with Bab Kakitachi, as an engineer responsible for designing the pressure vessel for Fukushima Daiichi Reactor Number 4, has said, TEPCO is afraid that the er- if the earthquake were to be determined as the direct cause of the accident, the government would have to review its quake-resistance standards completely. He's talking about Japan, but of course that means the United States as well. Tanaka went on to say that this would delay by years the resumption of the operation of existing nuclear power stations that are suspended currently due to regular inspections. Sidebar, when reactors are inspected on a rotating basis in Japan, they are shut down. None have been restarted since the accident on March 11th. What that means is that if no nuclear Uh, reactors in japan are restarted until after fukushima is resolved which will not be any time soon by april japan will be a nuclear free country except for the nightmare that's happening in the northeast now again back to tanaka vulnerability to earthquake resistance of the nuclear reactors core structure will require a total review of government safety standards so take that usa today Many more stories here, but I would like to get to our interview because, uh, the people who I'm interviewing today have had a tremendous effect on, uh, the local nuclear, uh, uh, activities, anti-nuclear activities that are taking place here in Southern California. Gary Hedrick and Lori Hedrick are the founders of San Clemente Green, a grassroots organization comprised of citizens for a sustainable future, united by a shared concern about global warming and peak oil, as well as many other local issues, including the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station. They have lived, worked, and raised their two children in San Clemente over the last 30 years. Gary and Lori, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you.
0: Terrific. So what moved the two of you to start San Clemente Green?
2: Well, originally we had read an article in the L.A. Times about Pasadena, who had created a a sustainability action plan for themselves. And so we thought that sounded like a great idea and called someone we knew in the city planning department and found out that it would take input from the um, from the citizens to raise the issue with city council, and then they would start a task force, and we thought, oh, well, that's it. Okay, well, we can do that. We've never done anything like that before, but that sounds doable. So that's where we started.
0: And how did you uh, gain the information that you needed in order to take these steps?
2: Well, once we put the word out in the community, we actually had the benefit of, many people that are actually in the professions that are related to energy conservation or water and nature preservation, our community is pretty um, full, it turns out, of experts that we were able to assemble into what we called the Green Ribbon Task Force, and we worked closely with the city manager and a city council member that was assigned to the task, and it took two years instead of one year like we thought it would, but um, we actually got it passed unanimously, and uh, now our city is the proud owners of a sustainability action plan.
0: And just briefly, what does that consist of?
2: Well, it's a multi-segmented approach to to um, responding to climate issues, basically. Uh, it's and resources. Greenhouse, yeah, it's our natural greenhouse resources. gases okay. and conserving natural resources and water mm-hmm. and, energy and, and that requires a baseline study being done and certain measurable targets, and that it's a, it's a legitimate contract with the city that they're obligated to fulfill, and they've identified it as a priority. So all of these segmented parts of our plan um, have real substance and uh, targets that were established over that two-year period.
0: That's great. So you started with a sustainability report that you got passed. How and when did your attention turn to the nuclear reactors at San Onofre?
2: Well, that was an unexpected turn of events. In fact, we were advised by people who wanted us to succeed in town with our sustainability action plan to not go anywhere near that topic because it was so radioactive. Mm -hmm.
0: It was a hot topic, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So we um, we tried to follow that advice and uh, we're um, actually confronted with another, well, just a situation that we hadn't anticipated where people who work at the nuclear power plant felt safe in coming to us to report safety violations that otherwise, if they reported to managers, they would face retaliation. And that's kind of the history of the plant. And This became a new avenue for them to get their concerns voiced in the public without having to face any consequences.
0: How long ago was that? By the way, if there's somebody who has not yet muted themselves, if you could hit star six, please, it'll just take away some background noise and some interference. Thank you so much. Where is John? Oh, somebody there. Okay. Okay, All so right. Gary, uh, uh, going back, how long ago was this and uh how did this shift you in um your orientation with San Clemente Green?
2: This took place at the end of 2010 and once we initiated conversations with the nuclear regulatory commission about the facts that were being presented to us by employees, um uh, they they really embraced our effort and encouraged us and commended us for our efforts and community service and promised to get back to us with, um, you know, what the results of their findings would be from this investigation. And it turned out that they didn't think any of these things rose to the um, level of any, even the lowest safety concerns. And we felt quite differently, and all of a sudden our faith in the regulatory commission was undermined by their own inaction.
0: So in other words, people within San Onofre brought safety concerns to you because they couldn't do it within the culture of the plant so that you reported it then to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who basically patted you on the head and said, there, there, we'll take it from here, and then they didn't do anything with it. Would that be accurate?
2: Right, and we'd try to bring these issues to the attention of the city council, who we had a fairly good relationship with from our sustainability actions, and they would not hear anything of it. They totally you know, pushed it off, saying they had no jurisdiction over the matter. The media wouldn't listen to us because we had no credible, hard evidence. And then on one occasion, um, probably two months or three months after, I'm not sure exactly how soon after, uh, someone secreted a memo to us which actually had um official feel of the nrc and s edison and as communication between them that the public was never supposed to see so when we had that hard evidence and and this was hard
0: evidence of them acknowledging that there were problems
2: yeah. right and it was very specific language that anyone could understand which is unusual for anything that i've ever seen from the nrc mm-hmm. It's layers of complex language and acronyms, and this you could read, and uh, you just go, oh, my God, there's like 25 things they listed that sound horrible. So when that hit the news, the uh, NRC was pretty much forced to take stronger action than I I think they ever would have had it not been public.
0: And the action that they took was?
2: Yeah, that resulted in what they called the Chilling Effects Letter, which is the most serious offense that's ever been, you know, brought against the power plant and it required additional inspectors and they had to prove certain milestones were being met or or else <laughs> the funny thing is or else is it would result in more inspections mm-hmm. or more inconsequential I I'm inconsequential act that you know we're really nothing more than a slap on the wrist.
0: It's kind of like telling a kid if you don't if you don't do something or another you're going to be sent to your room which has got, you know, the computer and the TV set and the iPod and you know and everything else the kid could want. So it's it's no kind of punishment. So right. how, let's jump a little bit on this and how did you come to be involved with um the hearings that took place in San Clemente between the um uh, between the city council and the NRC, and also the anti-nuclear uh, activists?
2: Actually, that was just a matter of sheer perseverance on the issues. Uh, once we became more the active... Fukushima yeah.
1: happened. Is what Lori, was. let's hear from
2: you on this one. Yeah, that's.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not sure I remember it very clearly, but it was the Fukushima incident happening that our mayor had said that she'd we asked that she get some kind of report back on uh, where San Onofre stands with lessons learned from Fukushima, and she did ask for a report back on that, and they said that they would need at least 90 days. The they
0: being uh, San Onofre or the NRC?
1: Yeah, Edison. Okay. And and the NRC. And, uh so it was postponed for 90 days, and actually a little longer than that because that ended up being like midsummer, and they wanted to wait till uh, you know more people would be around for that. And we asked if it could be a balanced meeting where not only would we be hearing from the nuclear regulatory commission and Edison, but be hearing also hear from expert nuclear ex- experts that were not affiliated with the industry. And um, they agreed to that after a lot of <laughs> perseverance and uh, a lot of people in the community came out um, to city council meetings in support of that and what we initially thought it was going to be a one-time meeting with all those different uh representatives present but it ended up being uh, two separate meetings which actually ended up working not just fine we were worried about that they would be separate but It gave plenty of time to go over, um, you know, all the information for people.
0: And for either one of you, what has been the result? Just give us a a summary of what came out of those hearings um, from the City Council of San Clemente.
2: Um, Well, I guess I'll take that one. Mm -hmm. The City Council initially was um, four to one against us even doing anything, they're very antagonistic of us bringing information to the city council when it wasn't in their jurisdiction. So it's very surprising that we ended up getting a unanimous decision by the city council to send a message to every city in Orange County, which amounts to 34 cities, along with to the NRC and uh, different Senator representatives. Senator Feinstein
1: the, and Boxer,
2: the CPC. And and all of these things, all of these letters that went out were very strongly worded about um, the spent fuel storage issues and uh, evacuation. And probably every point that we raised concerns about was reflected in the letter from the city council and the mayor. So it was quite an unexpected turnaround and everything that we wanted short of calling for a shutdown because – Our our concerns are immediate, and we're concerned that there's an earthquake going to take place before they fix problems that they know about. So Mm -hmm. that was our only disappointment, but otherwise they gave us a great tool to reach out to other communities that have already been approached by the mayor, and it's given us an introduction to the other cities that we can now approach, and we've been doing so ever since.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean first of all, congratulations on the success. I was at both of those hearings and uh it was a remarkable ingathering of um of voices. The reason I wanted to interview you for nuclear hot seat though was not just historic, but you seem to have found a way to work within the system that perhaps has application to other activists uh around the state, around the country, uh, maybe even out of the country, because we do get downloads uh, literally from around the world. So I'm wondering what advice you could suggest to other activists who are perhaps already working on these issues or are ready to start working on a local level and could use some pointers as to how to go about it.
2: Well. First of all, I'd say don't be deterred by the huge David and Goliath scenario that we're facing. Uh, like we like to say, uh, remember the outcome of that battle. But the the uh, point really is what I've realized, and the process has shown to be true and effective, is we're really dealing with an awareness or in a lack of awareness in the communities. And once you raise awareness, then the logical things start to take place. And if the if the true story is not available to the general public, then we're just going to remain with status quo. But it's amazing what happens when people get together, and they're determined, and the uh, facts are readily apparent. Uh, there's really no stopping it. So that's that's the main thing. Get started and don't don't quit. It's People will follow you,
1: and I think we've always tried to have a positive approach and rather than antagonistic or you know you us against them kind of um attitude and I think that's um, been to our advantage. people seem more willing to listen and don't get into a defensive mode and feel like we're we're coming from a reasonable position, concern for our Fellow um, citizens and our community and safety. And, I mean, how can you argue with that?
0: <laughs> well, I think it's important for them to realize that um, they're not immune to whatever happens because um, uh, San Onofre is what, three miles from San Clemente? Uh-huh. So it's very close. You are entirely within, you know, I mean, the 10 mile zone, let alone the 50 miles that was recommended around right. Fukushima. So that the number of people who are there, the city council members, members of their family, if something goes wrong at the plant, they don't have immunity just because they're in government. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, it is an information battle. And I love the use of the word persistence on your part. Um, what areas in particular did you really have to be persistent about in order to make the progress that was made?
2: Well, to not be deterred by the attitude the city council first showed. They represent a very powerful influence in our community, and by not having their support at first, it felt a little bit hopeless. But, you know, with so much riding in the balance, that it just wasn't a choice. You don't just stop when 8.4 million people live in an area that could be contaminated by just, just the worst kind of reasons possible. It's, you know, by that I mean the little that we have to gain from San Onofre is less than seven percent of our energy. And look at all the risk we take for that amount of energy. It's mm-hmm.
0: We could probably save that energy just by turning off the Christmas lights.
1: Right. Uh (laughs)
0: What I'd like to do now is is there's anybody who's on the call who would like to ask a question of um, Gary or Laurie Hedrick, who are the founders of San Clemente Green, um, if you're muted, you can hit star six to unmute yourself, um, or just jump in if you have a question for them. You don't have to be shy. We're nice people. We don't bite. This happens a lot because uh, people will call in and they either don't want to uh, engage or they're getting the information or uh, maybe they're just shy. Um, but I would like to know that in the wake of this um, win that you've had with um, uh, with the city council in, in San Clemente, what are you working on now?
2: Well, as I mentioned, we have our inroads with the city thanks to thanks to the mayor's letters that pretty much introduced the topic for us and gave us that much more credibility. So we've connected with Solana Beach City Council, um, Laguna Beach, Laguna Woods, Mission Viejo. Uh,
1: we actually wrote to every city that she had written to, offering to come and... Uh, do a presentation to their city council, to you know, give them more information, and there's been an interest there, uh, and we're kind of following up on that now to reach out to those communities. And going to city council is uh, a great tool as far as being able to raise awareness in those communities, because many of the city council meetings now are televised, and so it gives you an opportunity to not only speak to that council and the people in that room, but everyone who's watching the
2: city council
1: meeting as well.
2: That's a good point. I think it's really important for people to understand that you don't have to wait to get on the agenda to be heard by the city council because every city council has an opportunity for oral communications or a three-minute segment for each person to air a grievance or raise a concern that is not on the agenda. So mm-hmm. In our city, it's a 30-minute period for people to do that, and we just inundated them with speakers that each had three minutes to, to express their concerns, and we used that to our advantage in great effect.
0: So the point here is that anyone can start out on creating an anti-nuclear um, agenda within government in their own local communities. And certainly, for something that is as big as Los Angeles, I mean I don't know that I'm going to get in and have have the mayor pay any attention to me, but there are local neighbor neighborhood councils which are in direct liaison with our council people who have their local meetings, so the possibility is there on the lowest, most local level of government for anyone to step forward and begin the education process about what is what the truth of the local nuclear issue is, the global nuclear issue, and what needs to be done in order to uh, move us away from a dependence on nuclear energy and into genuinely clean, green, and sustainable energy so we can have a safe future.
2: Exactly. Right. right. It's uh, And it's not only possible, but hopefully we've made it easier for people. Because we've broken ground, and we can't do it all, but we can certainly advise people that want to get involved, and we also have a website called org which is specifically designed to allow people to access documents and print out their own flyers and use what we've already done so that we can all share the burden of the an incredible... And to
1: recreate account. all these things. Yeah, and they're very well... Sourced and documented um, information for people so they can go ahead and print up and use oh, for their purposes.
0: So. so, so just one more time, it is um, give the give the uh, website again.
2: org.
0: And that's S-A-N-O-N-O-F-R-E. Dot. Safety. Uh, okay. safety. Safety dot org. Safety. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And um if we wanted to e- if somebody wanted to email you directly, what would be the best way to do so?
2: That would be Gary at SanClementeGreen.org. dot org.
0: Terrific. Well, we will make that available um, through Nuclear Hot Seat, and I just want to commend you for uh, the local work that you did. That is, had, that first of all, had a major impact, and has the potential to have such a greater impact than that as you move it through Orange County, and beyond that, as serving as examples of what people can do in their local community to become activist and effective, and start growing a grassroots anti-nuclear movement that's going to get us away from that form of energy hopefully forever
2: that's right anyone can do it we should. well
0: i thank you for being on the program both of you and i invite you to stick around because there's more nuclear news there's some holistic healing tips and um, a little bit of uh, other activism from around the world i'll be reporting on so just hit star six to put yourself on mute again and i will return to the week's news As I like to say, thank you for all
1: you're doing. We really appreciate your efforts to spread the word and raise awareness.
2: And and let me give a shout out to Representative Markey. What a guy! (laughs) Oh
1: man,
0: you know, let's clone him. And he's about the only one I would vote to reelect at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me want to move to Massachusetts to vote for somebody good again.
1: (laughs) Thank you. My pleasure. So,
0: moving on to uh, more of the week's nuclear news. this is according to the AP, the Associated Press, that uh, radiation-contaminated groundwater is feared moving towards the fourth-largest river in the United States, over 200 miles inland, so this is not Fukushima-related. It's about the Hanford Nuclear Waste Plant. Now, the H-reactor is one of nine nuclear reactors at Hanford, Hanford where it is feared that contaminated groundwater is moving steadily towards the Columbia River and posing a danger to fish and the people who eat the fish. Uh, Remember last week there was a warning from uh, Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds that if anybody lives in the Pacific Northwest uh, or on the West Coast, we need to have our fish checked to see what level of contamination might be in them. But all fish are suspect at this point if they come from the Pacific Northwest or anywhere from the Pacific Ocean. But getting back to Hanford, uh, it is said that the worst of the waste is still decades away from being completely removed, that there are millions of gallons of a highly radioactive stew, enough to fill dozens of Olympic-sized swimming pools, and they are stored in aging underground tanks. Some of those tanks have leaked, threatening the groundwater and the river. Uh, two Hanford workers filed suit as whistleblowers, claiming they were targeted for reprisals after raising safety concerns. Uh, Meanwhile, just so you know, the Columbia River is the largest river in the Pacific Northwest region of North America, the fourth largest river in the U.S., and it has the greatest flow of any North American river draining into the Pacific. Moving over to Japan, um, there is a report of a Japanese professor with over 30,000 followers on Twitter who has been ordered by the president of his university to stop tweeting about radiation. The president of Gunma University, which is a public institution northwest of Tokyo, told the professor Yukio Hayakawa that uh, this week uh, he told him this week that his quote inappropriate statements on the social network quote lacked consideration for the victims of Japan's nuclear disaster who still live in irradiated zones around the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. Mr. Hayakawa has used Twitter for months to distribute information on radioactivity dispersal from the plant accident and widespread public distrust of official pronouncements. This is what he's also been commenting on. He is one of several Japanese professors who have accused public universities of gagging them and infringing on their academic freedom. Uh, and beyond this, gag orders abound in Japan. Whenever someone contracts to work for TEPCO, they sign a contract which prohibits them from ever speaking about operations inside or outside of the reactors, and this includes any illnesses that they might gain. So uh, Professor Hayakawa is uh, is a whistleblower in his own right and a very brave individual for going up against uh, the university, and long may he tweet. There are now some deaths showing up in connection with Fukushima, uh, a cleanup worker, uh, 60-year-old man was found collapsed in a car and confirmed dead. He was doing decontamination work, uh, in Date, or Date City, I wish I knew how to pronounce that, in Fukushima. Uh, this happened on December 12th, which is yesterday, Monday. Uh, now, there was no indication that the government had mentioned the density of the soil or the sludge or the level of radioactivity that was in it. The decontamination technology, let's put that in quotes, for the kind of operation that this man was doing in Japan, is by hand, shovel, trowel, and sandbag. A spokesman at the press conference that took place yesterday, Monday, said, we don't know the details, but the death is definitely not caused by the radiation and has nothing to do with the decontamination work, otherwise known as pay no attention to the little man behind the curtain. Um when the spokesman was later asked to clarify uh, by a reporter, uh, he backtracked and said all he meant was that the worker didn't die while he was doing the decontamination work. No, he died immediately thereafter. Now, the spokesman was extremely uncomfortable when he tried to answer the question of the cause of death and managed to say that it was not because of the decontamination work, but... This spokesperson for the government, for the cabinet office, was none other than Sashuhiro Sanada, who is the official who was seen in a press conference drinking water from Fukushima 1 reactor. Uh, this was water that was uh, harvested by uh, a man wearing a complete hazmat suit. So, of course, he would be a little nervous reporting on a different death that was going on. Uh, as a result of, uh possibly as a result of Fukushima, I don't know, does it make sense to you? In addition, there are reports of two high school students who have died in Tokyo. Both of them have died of cardiac arrest, and as we know, radioactive cesium attaches to heart muscles and does create heart attacks. Now, one of these two high school students was a boy between 17 and 18. He did not play sports hard. He was just studying for the entrance exam of university. He called in sick on the 29th of November and he died the next day. The other high school death was in a girl who was between 15, excuse me, 16 and 17 years old. Uh, now she did have a known heart problem. Her heart was smaller than usual. However, this did not limit her daily activities. She was a cheerleader at her last sports festival and two days later she died. The school is west of Tokyo. There are no more details available at this time. Now, Marco Kaltofen, who is a uh, scientist who was presenting to the American Public Health Association, uh, recently made available uh, this video to Fairwind. It's from a video that he did. Uh, He was stating that hot particles are continuing to contaminate Portions of northern Japan, these are particles of plutonium that float in the air that can be inhaled, and if they are, you have internal radiation, and uh, it leads inevitably to lung cancer. Uh, Kaltofen also said that auto air filters from Fukushima that he tested in his Massachusetts laboratory are so radioactive that they have to be disposed of in a buried radioactive waste disposal site in the U.S. Uh, he expressed concerns for the mechanics who work on cars in Fukushima Prefecture. For those of us on the west coast of California, you might want to mention to your auto mechanics that if they uh, have a Geiger counter, they might want to start bringing it into work and seeing if anything is showing up in the air filters of cars here in the United States. Uh, back to the United States for, um, no, I'm going to skip this story for a little bit later. A uh, little bit more information out of Japan, that uh wild monkeys are now being enlisted by Japanese researchers to obtain detailed readings of radiation levels in forests near the troubled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. No, they are not walking around with little radiation detectors on the ground trying to figure out if anything is radioactive or not. Uh, nearly 1,000 animals are being planned to be fitted with radiation meters and GPS transmitters in order to track the spread of radiation leaked from March's nuclear accident. According to Professor uh, Takayuki Takahashi, quote, the monkeys can help us get more accurate readings in areas that aren't so accessible. We'll get a better idea of how radiation is spread by rain, by plants, by rivers in the forest. And the plan is to keep the devices on the animals for decades. There is no word yet from the monkeys how they feel about this. Uh In Florida, one of my favorite stories, a massive influx of jellyfish have shut down, shut down the St. Lucie nuclear power plant in Florida. Uh, now, this happened in late August. We're only finding out about this now. Uh, there's always a time lag in finding out bad news about uh, American nuclear reactors. Uh, the plant, uh, which is designed to withstand the impact of a Bo- Boeing 747 jumbo jet, was shut down for 2 days because of jellyfish. They invaded um they invaded the intake valve uh the intake pipe which was located almost a quarter mile offshore. Um the this is the intake for the cooling water for the plant. It was a 4-day event that began on August 22nd uh when the plant began sucking in an unusually large number of moon jellyfish. Um even the trash rakes and large rotating metal screens that prevent debris from getting into storage tanks could not keep pace with the influx of dying and dead jellyfish and became clogged. That caused pressure to build up in the pumps that kept the water flowing to, that, kept, that keep the water flowing in the plant for cooling. While the plant was shut down because of the jellyfish invasion, a leak was discovered in another pump after the shutdown, so they took care of that at the same time. Now, this report says that jellyfish invasions of this magnitude are rare. Yet, on nuclear hot seat, we have reported two other invasions uh, in the last six months: uh, one that shut down two nuclear plants in Japan, the other one in Japan and two in Scotland. So, um, note that this is not rare. And uh, my point is, if a spineless jellyfish can shut down a nuclear reactor, what's the excuse of the rest of us? Now, a little bit of good activist news is that um, TEPCO, which is, of course, the operator of the uh, Fukushima disaster, uh, had wanted to release water treated for radioactive contamination back into the sea. Now, this is not water that is free of radioactive contamination. It has just been, quote-unquote, reduced considerably but not completely. In other words, it's still radioactive. But they have backed down. They've been forced to back down after fierce protests from fishing groups, uh, tens of thousands of tons of water contaminated with radi- radiation have accumulated at the plant 150 miles northeast of Tokyo, and TEPCO estimates the amount of treated water requiring storage is increasing by 200 to 500 tons every day, and the plant is likely to reach its storage capacity of about 155,000 tons around March. Um, They were planning on just releasing this, but it was the fishing industry and fishing groups that fought back. So if any of you have a reason to fight back against nuclear power plants or individuals who support them, know that there are uh, precedents for complete and absolute success, at least in this small area. Uh, We have to keep working and building on every small success that we can. Now, I always like to include holistic healing information in every one of these programs because radiation causes cancer and other illnesses as well. But we can fight back by improving our health, detoxifying our bodies, and keeping ourselves as healthy as possible in the face of the ongoing fallout and radiation that's still coming to us from Fukushima, if not our local nuclear power plants and disasters. So what I want to talk about now is radiational safety. Um, We're now going into the rainy season here in California, and the danger is that there is radioactivity that is circling the Earth in the jet stream. And if it intersects with a rain cloud, the resulting rain or the snow that forms in lower atmosphere will carry radiation down to earth it's called a rainout and it's a kind of nuclear roulette because not every rain is going to or snow is going to have radiation but if they intersect more radiation will be coming down So what that does is make it important not to spend time out in the rain or snow if you can help it, unless we know that it's a a safe time. And, of course, we would have to know this from citizen activists because the government isn't doing any kind of testing that we can rely upon or that is available to us. So some of the things you can do besides not being out if you can help it, if you can, leave your outer gear outside. That would be shoes, overcoats, and umbrellas. If that is not possible have a big trash bag near your door and stow your outer gear in that or if you hang up your coat, put the plastic over it so it has less chance of migrating into your internal environment, meaning your home and then your body. If you have a radiation monitor of any kind, check to see if there's radiation on it. Uh, and if there is, you might want to consider getting yourself another coat, another plastic over thing, whatever. Now, the spikes don't happen every time it rains or snows, But, again, if that intersection does take place, um, there will be radiation spikes. If you feel you may have been exposed to radiation, what you can do is, first of all, relax by taking a long, hot, soaking bath. That will relax you. But even more important is to include either bentonite or French green clay in the water, about half a cup, which will turn it all kind of cloudy. What these substances do is leach and fix radiation off your body, and it can also pull it out of your body. So do that, soak in the water for 20 minutes or more, and then let the water run out. And you can just you know wash any sediment of, of uh, clay out as well. And then when you get out, drink at least one glass of water with about a teaspoon of either bentonite or French green clay in it. We say dissolved in it. It won't dissolve all the way. You'll still have the sediment. But drink it and also include some green foods. Um, I use spirulina or chlorella or any of the the blue-green algae powders. Um, These are all important for maintaining our health. Um, So be safe out there and be safe in your internal physical environment as well. Uh, two additional pieces, um, we have a request from our correspondent in Japan, Kathy Iwani. Uh, she is taking measurements inside and outside her home in Wakayama, Japan, which is about 640 kilometers southwest of Fukushima. That's about, I don't know, about 450 miles, something like that. She's been taking these measurements daily. She wants to evacuate with her daughters to a home she has in California, but the measurements she has been receiving from friends in San Diego and Washington State are actually higher than the measurements she's getting in Japan. She believes this is because of the jet stream. Uh, she's asking that if anybody has uh, uh, measurements, that you are doing with your own equipment to please send them to you. We've been funneling them through the Facebook page on Nuclear Hot Seat, but uh, actually we're getting clogged with so many readings that a separate page is going to be created just for radiational readings that people are getting, citizen activists are getting anywhere in the country. And that way you guys can compare and contrast, and, and I can keep focusing Nuclear Hot Seat on the stories that I need to. Um, she said that, I know my girls and I must leave at some point as our local food supply is completely in danger now. There are demonstrations going on as I write this one hour away in Osaka to stop the burning of radioactive rubble there. I'm having a hell of a time deciding where to go. And so if anybody's got any suggestions and any readings, you can start by going to the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page, posting there, and uh, we will shortly have up a separate page where we can redirect all that information. And finally, um, this post, a very sad one from our friend Mokizuchi, M- Mokizuki, who um, operates Fukushima Diary, which is a very important blog out of Japan. Uh, he's moving. Uh, we've reported in previous weeks that he had been harassed by uh, officials in Japan uh, and challenged as to why he was uh, creating the blog post that he was. Uh, but he says, uh, Moving is not easy. This fatigue, I get tired easily recently. I had no energy to blog when I finally came home, coughing, runny nose, fatigue, and diarrhea doesn't seem to get any better. I die if I don't move. These are all signs of radiation poisoning, by the way. He moved on to talk about um, uh, the safety limits of food. Every time I blog about safety limit of food, I receive comments such as, "Quote: It's 400 becquerels per kilogram in Germany. It's way higher than Japan, etc." I cannot understand why you take it for granted that you accept the safety limit. The safety limit, always in quotes, must be absolutely zero becquerels per kilogram. Anyone who tries to make it more than zero becquerels per kilogram is your enemy. The person is trying to kill you. They say now everything is contaminated. We have to compromise and have slightly contaminated food to save the farmers and save the country. I dare to say no. I don't think anyone should try to adapt themselves to the world changed by the nuclear industry. Once you compromise, they'll push more and more to you. Say no from the first place. Don't be deceived. There is no safety amount of radiation to take into your body. Currently in Japan, they have a safety level of 500 becquerels per kilogram of rice. Um not a good idea to eat that. Watch the sourcing of your food. Anything sourced from uh the Pacific, from Japan, um, that dates from uh after March 11 is to be suspect and avoided to the best of your abilities. So uh just a reminder again, two things. First of all, uh the video of my TEDx Pasadena speech um from Three Mile Island to Beyond Fukushima, a vision for a nuclear-free future, that is up and running on uh, YouTube. You can put in YouTube, you can put in either my name or TEDx Pasadena, and uh, we will, you will have something there that you can download and use as a basic information piece that will get the information out as to uh, what the problems are with nuclear energy, how we can do without them, and what we can do without. The other is that we have an initiative that is gathering signatures for the ballot for the um, for the 2012 November election. I'm looking for my piece of paper on that. I have too many pieces of paper on my desk, and I'm not finding that. But um, is there somebody on the line right now who, un- who knows where to find that, um, that listing? Because my piece of paper that I had prepared is not ready to go. Okay, what I will do is I will post this information again on the Nuclear Hot Seat page, Um, but there are petitions ready to be downloaded and to be um, used by anybody in the state of California who can get it to um, voters who are registered to vote and uh, get signatures. We need over half a million of them, so all I want for Christmas is a lot of signatures on a lot of petitions. We will get that news out to you next week in more detail. So, doing the nuclear math, this is day 277 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors in Japan. Meaning, if you multiply 277 by 3 for each of the reactors, we have had 831 nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. That's well over two years of radiation leakage with the prediction that we're already in China syndrome and that the spent fuel pond at uh, reactor number four is in danger because a wall has collapsed. So remember, this ain't over yet, and then we've got the problems in our own backyard. So stay tuned. There will be more information. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 13, 2011. You can find us and links to previous programs by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. We are up on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free so you never need miss a single podcast. Now, if you have a lead to a story or information to share, join with our growing army of on-the-ground reporters around the world and send me a message on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat page. I will get back to you. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Do not go back to sleep. Be safe. Be well. I will speak with you again next week. Bye-bye.